Please look with me at the book of Habakkuk. The Old Testament prophet is towards the end of your Old Testament. If you use the Black Bible, which we invite you to take if you don't have one, page 785 on that, in that book. Habakkuk chapters 1, 2, and 3 is what we're going to look at again as it's our third sermon, third and last sermon in this series next week. Pastor Jay will take up from 1 Timothy chapter 4 and on thanksgiving in all things. God is so good and he gives us all things to enjoy and is to be received with thanksgiving. And so be in prayer and prepare your hearts for the word next week with, with Jay. Longtime quadriplegic, servant of God, author, musician, artist, ministry leader, Johnny Erickson Tata, who's written a lot of books and wrote one on suffering and hope. She tells this story. Sometimes hope is hard to come by. Like the other week, I visited my friend Gracie Sutherland in the hospital. Gracie had been an energetic servant in our ministry, Johnny and friends, for many years, but at 61, she got into a tragic automobile accident and was paralyzed. So I came to visit, she says, I came to visit Gracie at the hospital, with all the, came to see her in the intensive care unit and I didn't even recognize her. A ventilator shoved down her throat and crutch-filled tongs screwed into her skull. Gracie looked completely helpless. She couldn't even breathe on her own. And she, all she could do was open and close her eyes. And I sat there by Gracie's hospital bed and I read scripture to her. I wonder what she read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. I sang to her. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God in order to provide. To order and provide. We're going to sing that after the sermon. As she sat there with Gracie, I leaned as far forward as my wheelchair would allow, and I whispered, Oh, Gracie, remember... Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. She blinked at that point, and I knew she recognized the phrase. It's a line from the Shawshank Redemption. The Shawshank Redemption is the story convicted and sentenced to a life in imprisonment in a horrid prison in Maine, and his friend read. And after many hard years in prison, Andy opens a path of promise for his older friend, Red. And one day in prison, he instructs Red that if he's ever freed from the prison Shawshank, he should go to a certain town and find a certain tree in a field and push the rocks at this certain place, and they'll find a tin can, and he should use the money to escape and go to Mexico, and he'll find a fishing village there. Now, not long after that conversation, Andy escapes from prison and Red is paroled. And so Red, as a dutiful friend would, 
He follows his instruction, finds the cornfield, the tree, the rocks, the tin can, the money, and a letter from his friend Andy, which read, Red, never forget, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. And at that moment, Red realizes he has two choices as an old ex-convict. Get busy living or get busy dying. This sermon series in Habakkuk is about hope in God in the midst of the storm. Busy living the life of faith. Walking the path of steadfast trust in a God in the midst of pain that will make us cry, mercy, help me, O God. I know that either you do carry pains or you have people close to you carrying pains or because you live in this world, you will carry pains. The pains of various health trials, mental illness and addictions, or friends that have that, the pain of watching someone die slowly, and the pain of children suffering, and the pain of seeing children wander from the Lord and grow in the Lord. The pain are numerous. Scott prayed for some of them. They may be financial, emotional, relationship pains, heartbreak, spiritual pain. I shared last week about something that happened about five years ago. I was a 38-year-old president of of a small college and camp that I grew up at. My grandfather had founded it. My parents had spent their entire adult life. So their ministry there serving in this camp and college, this was where all my memories and background for spiritual growth has taken place. I mean, it's just laced with emotion. And I was leading this Ministry that was on the verge of collapse and then needing to close. I mean, it's the place that I graduated and Clayton graduated and Jay graduated and Pastor Mike graduated and Pastor Wes graduated and Pastor Ken graduated. I mean, it's all these people in my life. God used it in our life for, to change us and shape us and prepare us for ministry. And It was a dark season. I was there for two and a half years and the difficulties, but this season of my life in the summer, at the spring of 2014, boy, it it had me on my knees in desperate dependence and anguish and fear before God. And so what did I do? By God's grace, I lamented. Lament is a, a biblical category, it is a type of prayer. Whether you have called it lamenting or not, I, I bet you have lamented to some degree. You have cried out to God desperately and in pain for help. In the Bible, lament is a form of a prayer in which we cry for mercy And we don't stop crying for mercy. Oh God, when are you going to answer? Help me. And it's usually surrounded with questions. Why are you doing this, God? And how long, oh Lord? You see, we live in a world that requires this kind of lamenting. 
And we have a God who has invited us to lament and who hears our cry and will help. And the book of Habakkuk, three small chapters, bring us to a prophet named Habakkuk. We don't know much more about him. In a very wicked time in Jerusalem, in Israel, God's people had been unfaithful and God is about to judge them. And what Habakkuk, who is one of the few faithful, few godly, and there are some godly there, they're being persecuted, they're being treated unjustly, and wicked seems to be winning in Jerusalem. And so he has been crying out, and we find in this, I've said it two weeks in a row, you could divide up the three chapters into five sections. First section is in chapter one, where he says, why God, why does it seem like the godly is losing and the wicked are winning? Why don't it seem like you're hearing our cry? That's section one, the prayer. It's section two, God answers. And he says, I'm here. I'm in charge. Watch what I do. I'm going to do something. I'm sending the Babylonians and they're going to judge the wicked that you're talking about. And in the third section, Habakkuk says, time out, God. No, wait. Don't, don't you realize? The, you know this, God. The Babylonians that you're sending to judge the bad in our land, they're even worse than us. God, why are you doing that? And Habakkuk struggles with God's way of working. And he tells God that. And yet, there is a submission Habakkuk is giving. He's, he is crying out to God, trying to understand. And he's listening to God as God speaks with him. And that moves us into the fourth section where God says, now trust me. In fact, the godly live by trust or faith. That's how the righteous live. And I'm going to do a work in your day. And I'm going to do a work and it's going to be dark then. But I am going to do a work that is more glorious than you could ever imagine. Just trust me. And in chapter 3, which is the fifth section, we find Habakkuk praying to God, remembering God's greatness, offering up his praise and submission to God. And so what we find in this book is a progress or maturing from Little faith, immature seedling of a faith of this godly man in his pain to at the end of chapter 3, praising God with much stronger faith. I need to grow in my faith. You need to grow in your faith in God. And Habakkuk is meant to point us to Living by faith and growing in faith. And so last week, I said it this way. The pathway from pain to praise in God, that pathway that we are to walk for the rest of our lives between now and the day that God calls us home, and we don't know when that could be, that pathway is to be walked from pain to praise to God. Is to be, that pathway is called steadfast trust in God. A steadfast, meaning I'm not going to stop trying to trust. And that, I gave eight, cat, eight things about that. Four I focused on last week. I'm going to focus on the next four this week. And the reason why I give you eight, it's like steadfast trust is not just meant to be a cliche that you give somebody. You need to trust God more. Like, that helps. 
Like, have you ever been so stung by the pain and someone comes up to you? You just need to trust God. He's in charge. And you're like, easier said than done. I'm trying to trust God. And, and the, the Bible gives it. So it, the answer is trust God. But as we look at these eight things, we see what trusting God, that, that steadfast trust looks like. And we saw, so we saw these things. We, we lament and we listen and we wait and we remember and we hope and we submit and humble and we praise. They're in the back page of the bulletin if you came in and you got one. They're on that back sheet. We're going to see them here. Last week we saw lament and we listen. I'm just going to go through them real briefly. Some of you weren't here. You can use a refresher course if, if you were here. And I'll try not to belabor them, but I, I pray that God will use them, say a few things fresh about them. So, you and I, I in 2014 and I in 2019 need these things because I need to not leave the path of steadfast trust. I need to walk it and beat that path all, every day of my life, and that's going to include these things. It means that in my life, I'm going to lament. That means I'm going to pray to God with desperation. And frankly, I'm going to, God's going to give me enough things in my life, if I open my eyes, to lament every day of my life. I, I'm going to praise, but lament meaning cry out to him for mercy and for help. And usually because there's heavy things on my heart. If it's not because of the hard things that are going on in my, my life, it might be my children, it might be you and the church, and it might be my neighbors and the people around me. And frankly, that's not just because I'm a pastor, I'll have those things. You do too. Whether it be the struggles you face, or as God grows you to love people, you're going to carry their burdens. Because you get to picture Jesus Christ to them. You get to show them. So you're going to lament. We are called to lament. The pathway to, from pain to praise is trust. And it includes lamenting out to God. It's honest. It's sincere. It's with messy questions sometimes. It's going to be on our knees. And it's on our face sometimes. Meaning, uh, there was t there's been times, maybe you've felt like this where I felt so overwhelmed with the situation that I had to lay down on the carpet and just cry out to God. Maybe you've never literally done that, but you feel like you could do that, but you couldn't because you were driving. That'd be hard. Or, or you just didn't have time, it felt like. In Habakkuk 1, 2, he does. And he's been crying for a long time because he says, God, why, does, why don't you hear my cry? Brothers and sisters, in your trial, God will move you into life in such a way that he will, he will force you to persistently have to wrestle with him and rest in him in prayer. Wrestle with him. There's an imagery in the Bible where Jacob in Genesis had to wrestle with an angel and said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He was wrestling with the angel. There's a sense of God, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to just keep crying out to you until you help me in this. I'm not going to dictate what that help looks like, but you need to help me or you need to help her or you need to help so-and-so. 
and yet I rest in you. That's what the rest of these points are about. That's lament. And then we listen. And as I said last week, when you're going through struggle, one of the things that you and I all need to do is when we go through pain and we ask God for help, we need to actually turn on our spiritual hearing aids. We can, can be, oh God, spirit, help me as I see your word and see wisdom. Because when we go through suffering, when we're crying out to God, God is sometimes, he's wanting to tell us something. He's wanting to teach us something. He's wanting us to say, he wants us to say, God, what do you want me to hear from this? And, and God was showing Habakkuk in this story that, my ways are not your ways. I have plans. You need to trust me. The righteous will live by faith. I have a good thing going on. You just trust me. I know that in my life, when bad things seem to happen bad, I have to listen to God, and he's sometimes telling me, Daniel, you have idols in your life. You are putting your trust your delight in comfort, in comfort, or in, you are putting your trust in your possessions, your money, the good opinion that others have of you, that is so important to you, I'm going to strip those things away, because I love you too much, and I want you to rest in me, not those things. So, when you're struggling, we need to listen. Faith says, God, I believe you, but I also don't want to waste my pain. And I want to grow. I want to learn. I don't want to miss the lesson that you have for me. I'm listening to you. Now, we listen to what God has, but we also listen to this book, the Bible, and we say, God, what do you have for me? Is there anything that you're instructing me? Then number three, waiting. The Bible calls us to wait on him when we, the path that you and I are called to take in pain is going to be painfully slow to us. And the way steadfast trust to be steadfast means you don't give up. And you wait, and you keep trusting, and you keep praying. Habakkuk 3.3, it says, God says to Habakkuk, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Habakkuk 3.16, he says, I will quietly wait for the day of the Lord. Patience in God is something that God intends to grow in us. And we go, oh, no, I don't want to learn patience. And yet patience is a gift from God. It is a sign of maturity in our lives. And when it is being given to us and as we acquire it with his help, there is a joy that comes in resting in him, knowing that he has, he has built that into our lives. The psalmist talks, all, if you did a, a search of wait in your Bible app or on the computer, or even just at the back of your Bible, wait, you're going to find a wait on the Lord. Wait on him. I want you to wait for me. I wa I'm not in a hurry. And you see, the reason why that, this is all part of this path of steadfast trust is when we have to wait, we are forced to say, do I really trust him? Do I trust his timing in this situation? I came across this 
couple years ago in the time of waiting, agonizingly waiting on that Northland situation that I mentioned earlier. And I came across this that I wrote down, waiting upon God, it means to expect God to work, but to have patience and submission. It means to long for God to work, but not impatiently. It means to look for answers to prayer, but not to fret when there is a delay. And to watch closely for God's presence and deliverance, but not restlessly. And to feel that if God doesn't come with power, um, we'll, we'll submit to his plan. Yet, God wants us to wait on him. I, if you're here this morning feeling the agony of a burden, frankly, I, I trust that you do. You have burdens. If anything, it's, it's a, it might be an unbelieving child or a spouse. It might be just uh, the burden in America. I mean, you just look at the news. Look at politics, look at the crime, look at our neighborhood and community and our world, and we should lament and we should cry out to God. Let us wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord, he renews their strength. Isaiah 40. But here, here are the next four that I just want to give you. I'm going to take a little longer on that. Four, number four is we need to, or actually, I, Sorry. I already gave you four lakhs, so I'll, I, I'm a God ahead of myself. Number four is remember. We need to remember. Remember what God has done. Remember what God has said. That's where I, I left the rock here. That's what an Ebenezer service for. That is what taking a journal and writing the prayer, answers to prayer that God has done. We must do that in our lives, and we must share that in our lives. There's been many, many times in my life when I... I faced, I'll say even the last couple weeks, small things that made me really anxious. And I had to go, I had to do some mental exercises and go, remember last time you were in something similar to this? How stupid your worry was? It didn't help at all. God was still on the throne. He cared for you and he delivered you. You might have had to be in pain a little bit, but he loves you, Daniel. Every time he's been faithful to you, stop it, you dunderhead. Sometimes I have to talk to myself that way. I, I looked up at that word, means slow-witted. And we can be slow-witted spiritually. That's how we are. God grows us so we be better-witted spiritually. And that is, so we come and go, yeah, that's naturally anxious-causing, anxiety-causing. But I will remember the works of the Lord. I will remember his past deeds. Do you? He doesn't waste our suffering. He works all things together for good. In Habakkuk 3, he starts to, Habakkuk starts to declare all the good things that God has done in his, Israel's past. Starting at, at, throughout the first half, verses 3 through 15, he does that. God is the God that works through the mighty seas, through the rivers. He sends his horses. He does all things. And if you're a Christian, he is. That's number four. Number five. Here we, we take up the new, new stuff. Number five, hope. The pathway from pain to praise in God, 
The pathway of growth in the spiritual walk is steadfast trust, and it includes hoping in God. When I, when I was in seminary, I attended it and became a member and was a pastor for a while at Bethlehem Baptist Church where John Piper was. And they had a sign in downtown Minneapolis across it, and you could see it on the freeways. It said, hope in God. We need to learn what it means to hope in God. Hope is future-oriented. It looks to the future. When I hope for something, I look to something in the future. I love what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hope for what he sees? I mean, if you see it, you don't hope it's there. Hope is what you don't see, but you long for. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And the point of hope is, well, I wrote down a definition that I shared with you in the spring when I was preaching on hoping in God for young women in 1 Timothy. Hope in God is the growing confidence and even a delight in the person and promises of God in Christ for the future or as to the future. Hoping in God is a growing confidence and a delight that God's got it. He wins in the end. I win with him in the end. In fact, that winning means it's the best possible outcome. And I, I got I to gotta grab a hold of that because, frankly, when we're in pain, we don't see it. It looks bad. That's part of what it's hope. I don't see it, but I wait for it patiently. For who hopes for what he sees? And Habakkuk didn't see that bright future. And yet God, in the midst of saying the Babylonians are going to come and things are going to get worse before they get better. And frankly, that can be sometimes God's pathway in our lives. It gets worse before it gets better. Not always, but it might. Right in the middle of the passage of chapter 2 and God speaking to Habakkuk, he gives him a, a picture of hope. Verse 14, he says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk, you don't see it, but it's future, and it's really good. It's better than you could ever imagine. Hope in me, God. Hope in me, Habakkuk. Because it's going to get bad, I have a plan, and that plan is not just local Jerusalem, small time, it's one little nation, Israel. I'm going global. I'm taking my glory to the ends of the earth. And, and I'm gonna, it's going like, to look like a tragedy, but you remember my tragedies are camouflaged, my victories are camouflaged often as tragedies. Because I am working bigger plans and someday the knowledge of my glory, and that means the, the experiencing of my glory, my justice, my holiness, my beauty, my glory, my majesty, my purity, my truth, all of those things are his glory. It'll cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, as the ocean is wet, so the world will be covered with my glory. Hope. 
in God. You, do you know we're coming to Christmas in just a few weeks, and Isaiah 11 is a passage about Christmas, about the coming of the sent one, the, the root of, from the root of Jesse, there would be a sprout that comes forth. Just a sprout coming from this root of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. And, and just a stem would come from that root. Je this is Isaiah 11. And God says, in the midst of calamity, this was a prophecy to Isaiah years before, maybe 50 years before this was written. So Habakkuk would have already known this. He would have already heard this verse before. And, and he says, and this, this root, the, the Spirit of God will be on him. And he's clearly talking about Jesus, the Messiah. and. If you read of Isaiah 11, you're going to see that he's, he's going to come and he's going to, with righteousness, he'll judge the poor and decide with equity and the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. The wicked will be killed. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. He's talking about then the glory that's going to happen on this earth. In verse 9, at the end of this, he says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. When my Messiah, when Jesus comes, he's going to bring the beginning of what this prophecy is going to happen. Habakkuk, wait. Look to me. Oh, what are the pro oh that we would be a people that will hope in God? Is it Psalm 131.3, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 146, 5, blessed is the, he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord. Psalm 42, 5 is a lament. The psalmist is depressed. He says, why are, he's talking to himself in Psalm 42, 5. Why are you so distressed and depressed? Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? He's talking to himself. And then he preaches to himself. He says, Hope in the Lord, for you will again praise him, my Savior and my God. We need to hope in God. Oh, that we would hope in God that, and have a confidence and a delight in the fact that God in Christ is more satisfying to me than anything else, that he will not withhold any good from me. And keep me from eternal joy. Do I hope in God that God in Christ is my one true security and he promises to keep me and never leave or forsake me? Can I hope in God that God is, God is good to me and will work all things for my good? And that he is a faithful judge and though, though there, are, there are wrongs against me, he will right all those wrongs someday. He will judge the wicked. Do I hope in God that in Christ, that God is wise and invincible in all his way, and his timing is perfect. And even if he calls me to wait, and it looks impossible, he's in charge, and he's really good. Peter, who was crucified upside down for his faith in Christ, because he didn't want to be crucified in the same, he wasn't, didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus, tells the church, Prepare your minds for actions and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope on God. Oh, faith, church, hope in God. And I just want to say to you, if you are here, the way you begin that hope journey is by putting your hope in the fact that you cannot save yourself even a little bit, that you have a sin problem and your sins keep you from God and keep you from even hoping rightly in God until you first realize that there is no hope for you apart from a sacrifice that God paid for you and gave for you through his son Jesus who came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose again. And the hope that where hope begins for you is you say, could it be that he did that for me also? And if I turn from my sins and ask him to forgive me and accept his free gift, could I actually hope that he would forgive me and he'll save me forever and give me life eternal and that he'll now be my father and work for my good and I can hope in him for the rest of my life? I pray that you and I invite you to hope in him today. So the path of steadfast trust is hoping in God. And then number six, it's humbling ourselves. I put the word humble. What I mean by that is we to humble ourselves. Humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God is always part of the steadfast trust in God. Have you ever been so broken? so overwhelmed and you cry out to God and then you just are like, you put your hands up and say, God, you just, I'm done with myself. I can't do it. I'm, my ego is completely crushed. It's not about me. I'm weak. You're strong. First Peter 5 is such truth and wisdom for all of us. Peter says in verse 5 of chapter 5, he says, clothe yourselves all of you with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he will exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. Peter is saying, in the midst of all your struggles, because he was talking to a church in trouble, he says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He's mighty. You just fall underneath him and say, God, it's not about me. It's about you. I trust you. Here's all my anxieties. And I just keep casting them on you. I, my finances, I throw it to you. I need help to figure it out. Throw it to you. This burden of a, of a child is, is a struggle. My parents are a struggle. My schoolwork, my load here, my job situation, all of these things, my health, these relationships, I keep casting to you, the humble cast to God. The proud says, I can handle it. The path of steadfast trust is humbling ourselves to God. I see that in Habakkuk 2.4, the, the, the hinge passage about faith. God says to Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 4 of Habakkuk, he's saying about the wicked... Behold, his, that's the wicked, his soul is puffed up. That means he's proud. It's exalted. It, it's flexing its muscles with its nose in the air, thinking it's okay. It thinks it can handle it. It's self-reliant, self-boastful. It's got its own kingdom. Think Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and his pride. He says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. 
Now, the point in the second half is faith is really important. That's how we live. But I, I think the reader is also meant to go, they're the opposite of puffed up. They're on their knees. They're not puffed up. They know God's got plenty of strength to handle and do all the heavy lifting in their life. And they look to him. The humble say, help me. I'm weak. Help me. I require mercy. Help me. I'm anxious. God, I cast all my burdens because they're many. They're like the sands on the seashore sometimes. Do you say that to God and others? Faith Church, that's what we need to learn to do within, within the body. We humble ourselves before God and to each other. It's okay for you to text somebody and say, I'm a mess today, pray for me. What, they're going to think you're weak? <laughs> we are weak. We're all needy people. So the faithful path of steadfast trust acknowledges that, asks for help when we need it, including to one another, I know that it's hard for us to ask for help, but we need to, and we need to be there ready to help someone. The humble respond in, in, in this way. It's that demeanor that in chapter 3 then, Habakkuk says, in your wrath, remember mercy. It's, I can't do it, but you need, you need to come and give me mercy. I'm not going to take the time to do there, but I point you to Psalm 131. The psalmist says, my lips are shut. You've taught me to keep my mouth shut. I'm like a weaned child contented because you're in control. I trust you. You've, my heart was lifted up, but now it's no longer lifted up. That's number six. Hum, we need to humble ourselves. Number seven, we need to submit. Faith Church, brothers and sisters, we need to be a people that in the midst of our pain, midst of whatever we have, we submit to God in the midst of that struggle. The pathway of steadfast trust is submitting to God, obeying, yielding to Him, His way. Do what He and this is twofold. We do what He says, and we accept His timing. We submit to His timing and His ways. We do what He says, and we accept his timing and ways. Habakkuk continues on serving as a prophet. He's really bad. He just keeps on being faithful and obeying God. And he accepts his ways and his timing. He, in verse 16 of chapter 3, his body is trembling, his lips are quivering, but he says, yet I'll wait patiently for you. I submit to your ways. And you want to see one of the great ways he submits? Look at verse 17 of chapter 3. Okay, God, you brought me through pain. It might be cancer for us. It might be through a, an ongoing painful situation that just doesn't look like it's going to end, and God wants you to keep, keep keeping on. This is where Habakkuk got to. This is chapter 3, not chapter 1. Chapter 1, he wasn't ready for this. Chapter 3, God... This is how I submit. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That's a grim picture. That's dark, bleak winter in Michigan. That's 
perpetual winters without Christmas in a Narnia language. And he says, though those things happen, and I can't foresee how I could get any provision through that. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And so what we do is he says, yet I will trust in you. Yet, in fact, a study of the laments in the Bible, the stories of God's people saying, God, help me. It's bad. I'm discouraged. I need help. I need deliverance. I am in a bad place. There's a, there's a hinge point that turns from pain to praise is when is in the expression of submission that says, yet, or but. Yet I will rejoice. But you are God, and I will trust you. God the Lord is my strength. That's a, that's a miracle, brothers and sisters, when God does that and helps us do that. That kind of submission is by His help in our lives growing, and it happens with our stumbling and falling in the sloppy mess of those, these eight points, because it's sometimes really messy, and we fall off the path of steadfast trust, and sometimes our friend or family member or our church or hopefully pastor or whoever will push us back onto that path as we keep going, trusting in the Lord, our God, submitting to His ways. Habakkuk says, I will submit to you whatever you bring. Though you slay me, using Job language, still I will trust you. What do you need to submit to God to in, your, in this? What do you need to surrender in your life right now? What is it in, God, in your life right now that God, in your pain, says, I might deliver, but you've got to deliver it to me. Do you trust me? Are you going to submit to me? Just in a passing... The point, I don't see it so clearly in this because we don't get a lot about what Habakkuk is going through other than just these three chapters. But we also need to submit to God's word when we're going through trial and not ignore the Bible. Too often people will go through a painful situation. They'll, they'll say, I feel so spiritually dead all the time. And yet they're ignoring the ways that God wants them to get Strength. They don't go to church. They don't read their Bibles. They don't pray. They don't ask people to help them. They don't ask people to pray for them. They're not obeying what God has said for them to do. And we, when we're on the path of steadfast trust, we need to obey. We need to submit. Now, the last point that I want to give to you is praise. So you, you see the praise there. It's in verse 18. It's a praise. It's, it's also a submission, but it's a praise. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take God, joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Our praises will look different. Sometimes it's exuberant. It's joyful. It's we've already been delivered. And sometimes that praise is going to look like, it's going to be like what Johnny Erickson prayed when she was with Gracie in the hospital that I shared at the beginning of this sermon. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Just keep remembering, he's on my side. doesn't feel like that right now, but he's on my side. So be still, wait, submit. 
bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. This, this cross and loss, just stole, hang on. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best and thy heavenly friend. Through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. He praises. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. He keeps me secure. I would stumble and fall, and I would just fall off the spiritual map if it wasn't for God holding me tight. I I was reading this passage yesterday with a group of men, and I read it, and they go, you know this is hunting season. Deer's feet are not in stable places right now. If you think about that for a minute, usually they're upside down. Um, that's not what this, Psalm, this Habakkuk was talking about. He's, the idea is they're up on the mountaintop. These deer don't stumble and fall. They just ha- have that grace to be able to be in a precipice and just be like, how do you keep going like that? How can you stay upright in the midst of the pain? Well, it's because the Lord is my strength and my shield. My God is my strength so that I can be happy and contented when I have nothing and when I have everything. Years ago, God, God brought me through a lot of complaining and whining and being off the path of trust to getting back on the path of trust and trusting in him, praising him, praying and serving in the midst of that. I went through a suspenseful time in, my, in that, that period of time where I knew I had to wait on God and there was a deadline and at that deadline, it could get really bad from my imagination or really good. And man, I wasn't good at being wait, at waiting and being, and I was not good at being anxious. And so I had to write down, I, and I did write down several things, several reminders. I still have them. I, I have this journal right here. They're written down in them. I typed them out here. There are 14 things that I put. These are examples. I just said, I got to keep my mind on these. And if I don't, I'm, I'm toast spiritually. So... And I think they fit with these, many of these eight things. I said, I didn't do all of these well. But I look back and I go, God is slowly working me in these things, and he might use these for you. I had to tell myself that in the midst of my pain, and as I wait for an outcome, I will pursue my joy in God and his glory being seen no matter what happens. If he gets the glory, it's really good. So I get to show his glory even if it goes really bad. In fact, maybe even more so. So I could be, I'm gonna, that's going to be the source of my joy, not the outcome. Number two, God, i got to keep remembering that I need to pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying with an attitude of wrestling and resting in God. Three, I'll fix my mind and my heart on my true owner and the owner of the school I was part of. It might for you, your family, or your life, or your situation. God's the owner, and he's a really good owner. He knows what he's doing. I don't. So it's in good hands, no matter what happens. I've got to keep remembering that. And I'm going to play, pay close attention to my kids and my wife in the midst of this, remembering they're way more important than whatever I'm facing here. And... And I'll meditate on God's word day and night because, boy, that's the fuel for my hoping in him and his promises. 
And, I, and number six, I, I'll seek to take the next logical step that seems reasonable by faith when they're presented to me. They might not even make sense, but I can go down that pathway and I'm going to trust him. And I'll seek to trust God to do what's good for me and for Northland or for whatever else I'm facing, whether it's a yes or a no answer to my prayers. I'm going to trust him that he's going to do what's good. And I'm going to keep reminding myself that. And number eight, I'm going to keep my tongue from evil. That's Psalm 34. From grumbling, criticism, blame, or deceit. Because when I'm in trouble, when I'm anxious, I can blame, I can criticize, I can grumble. And I'll be thankful in all circumstances, as 1 Thessalonians 5 says. I'm going to praise him. These little things and big things and even bad things, give him thanks. And number 11, I'm going to not panic, but instead pray and give him time to work because he takes his time. He's got a plan. And 12, I'm going to look for blessings or opportunities to bless and serve others. And three, when I sin, I'm going to confess my sin to God and others and not make excuses that it's because of my problem, because of my pain, because of my anxiety. And lastly, I, I'll honor and submit to the authorities that are in my life for that in that stage, it was my pastors and my board. I'll submit to them in all things as unto the Lord. Connie Dever, in wrapping this up, she writes a book, a memoir on her cancer struggle. It's called He Will Hold Me Fast. She tells about, she says, about her prayer requests in the midst of her body-destroying cancer. As you might expect, my list included, my prayer list included God to heal my body and sustain my life. But this trial has shown me how fleeting this life is and how the things of this world can't bring fulfillment or security. I would only find lasting joy and peace in God and desiring his will. So she says, most of my requests were of more spiritual nature in her pain. I didn't want to waste a speck of my trial. I wanted to live gratefully for his goodness shown to me in it. I wanted to joyfully surrender my plans, my resources, myself into God's hands, convinced that his ways are better and wiser than mine. I wanted God's word to be woven into the very beat of my heart. I wanted the lies that fed my fears to wake, to fall to the wake of God's truth. I wanted to know God so intimately that I could laugh at the days ahead looking to God's bountiful resources instead of my puny ones to meet them. I wanted to be a bold risk taker who saw difficulties as opportunities for God to show his goodness and greatness. I wanted other weak and struggling Christians to see God helping me and for them to be encouraged that he would help them too. And I wanted non-Christians to look at what God was doing in me and see his unmistakable power, power enough to even raise the dead. I wanted to know that God would always hold on to me. I wanted to rest deeply in his steadfastness over my enemies of fear and self-reliance assault me daily. I'm not a completely transformed, living on a new plane of existence woman of God. I think that'll have to wait till heaven. But I do have little victories each day, more than before. Even when I don't have victories, I have hope. Hope because I have seen the power of the prayers of the saints of, as God has answered them in my life. 
I have hope because God's word is being woven into my heart. It's growing in power to strike down the enemy's lies. I have hope because now I am quicker to surrender my life to God because of a growing certainty that his plans are better, even if they're harder. Hope because I have more confidence that God will give me the power of his Holy Spirit to meet towering difficulties. There's a glimmer of thrill where there used to be a chill of fear. Hope that God will indeed bring glory to himself in the church and through Jesus Christ, even through weak, fearful, needy little me. And hope because he's holding me. He's holding me fast. And that's far, far better than me holding on to me. I may have long way to go in this battle of cancer. And I certainly have an even longer way to go in this battle with self-reliance. But that's okay. God has done it all before. Maybe he's fighting this battle even in you now. If you are a child of God, take heart. If you are not a child of God, you can become one. Whoever comes to him in repentance and faith, he will never cast out. John 6. Our confidence is in the God who can do more than we can ask or think. He does not disappoint. Our hope in him will not put us to shame. Let's pray as the worship team comes forward. Oh, Father, I pray that whether pain is the present reality of, of several or many in this congregation, felt expression to praise you, to wait on you, to hope in you, to humble ourselves, to submit ourselves, to listen and wait, keep doing it. Help us to be still, to know the Lord is on our side, and bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Help us to leave to you, God, to order and provide. Thank you that in every change, you're still the same. God, help our souls to know that our best and our heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. In Jesus' name, amen.